Welcome to the Nice Guy Show. I'm your host, Faisal Koko, and I'm joined with Ari and Chuck. They're my co-host. And we're going to be looking at the unattractive truth about mummy issues. Now, for a boy, his mother is his first love. His father is his first hero. Now, how does mummy issues impact us and our relationships? Well, it has a lot to do with it. If you're a heterosexual male, your relationship with your mother will determine your type and the type of relationship you'll have with the women that you'll meet. Now, this can be a really sore subject. And a lot of times when I face this conversation or have this conversation with men, they're quite abrasive about it. They, wanna, they, they don't want to tackle this. And they don't really see the connection, the relationship of mummies and what that has to do with their relationship. They kind of separate this. And there's a good reason for that. So I'm going to tackle some of the mummy issues and how it shows up, how it affects relationships. And here are some of the ways that mummy issues can show up. So here are some signs. If you constantly seek approval with women, especially attractive uh, women, you've got some mummy issues there. Also, if a lot of insecurity shows up around women, you put them on a pedestal, you have poor boundaries, and sometimes you're quite fluid rather than more disciplined, focused, and structured. Also, mummy issues can show up if you have a lot of disrespect or hatred towards women. Also, this is an important one. A lot of nice guys suffer from this one. If you're also hypersensitive, especially to criticism or feedback, Another way mummy issues can show up if you have fear of intimacy. So you, you find it very difficult, you're an avoidant, and you find it hard to commit to relationships or people or even ideas or concepts. Another way mummy issues can show up is if you have attachment issues. So you might be an anxious attachment. You might be quite fearful. Again, it ties into the same thing as fear of intimacy. Another way it shows up is you have difficult forming and maintaining relationships. I do meet a lot of nice guys who have only like six-month relationship or three-month relationship, and they're sometimes in their 40s and 50s, and they've never, ever had a long-term relationship. And what I mean by a long-term relationship, I usually mean about three, four, five years or more. Also, they're very inadequate when it comes to parenting. And the last one is they avoid being consistent and disciplined. Now, let's talk about mums. Gentlemen. What was your mum like? Ari, let's go with you. What was your mum like? What was it like growing up with your mum? You know, my mom, my mom is very loving. Um, and uh, she was coming from the South. You know, she grew up in the, the 50s and 60s in North Carolina. You know, so it's, it's kind of a old school uh Southern girls. I'm sorry. Oh, there she is. Is your mother calling you right now? <laughs> She's like, "What are you doing on the podcast?" <laughs> I baked. I baked you. What are you something. saying about me? <laughs> um, you know, Southern girls are are raised to be to be pleasers. Um, so I, I think as a result, she didn't really um, feel as comfortable making her own decisions for herself and trusting herself, both of, both of which are things that I've struggled with myself. Um, her parents, I think used guilt a lot. Um, and she, she didn't feel as comfortable sharing 
her feelings with her parents. So she wanted to be a parent that didn't um, put as much baggage on me um, and didn't guilt as much as her parents. Um, but I think, you know, in some ways, maybe she overcorrected because my my ex-wife would, would call me a mama's boy. You know, I, I think oh, really? that... Why? Why is that? Because she, she felt like my mom and really that both of my parents uh, coddled me, um, that they didn't challenge me when I was acting, acting out or misbehaving, that, you know, everything I did was okay, basically. Um, so I also think, you know, that they just wanted to protect me from the world. Um, so you were, you, know, so you were very much cushioned and protected and in a cotton wrapped up in a cotton wool as well. Yeah. And so, you know, while sometimes I, I, I tell my story and I feel like, well, do I have something to complain about? But <laughs> in reality, you know, what that, that coddling does is it, it stunts you in a different way because you can't see yourself clearly. And then you learn to expect that from the world or, or at least to hope for it, that other people are going to take care of you in that way. Um, and unfortunately that's what got played out in my romantic relationships and in my marriage, you know, expecting my ex-wife to basically coddle me. Um, yeah. So you were expecting her to show up and have some of the traits like your mom did as well. So that's interesting. And, you know, I like what you said. First thing was, you know, she was a people pleaser as well. So let's go to Chuck. Chuck, are you a mama's boy? What's it like being raised by your mom? Yeah. So my mom was a yeller. She yelled and screamed and raged. And um, last week in our father episode, I talked about a family mantra that my family had about my dad, which was my dad's dad died when he was four years old. So he was raised by a single mom. And the mantra was, dad didn't have a dad, so he doesn't know what he's doing. So you have to kind of give him a break. My The family mantra around my mother was that mom didn't receive love and affection. Her parents never told her she that they loved her her entire life. And so your mom has a really hard time showing love. So you have to just kind of give her a break as well. But my mom would fly into rages. She would whip us with uh, a stick. She would, um, in my estimation, as an adult looking back, it was unbridled rage that she took out on us, on our three boys. And as a result of that, I learned to be afraid of a woman's anger. Um, to this day, yelling, it triggers me. You know, my wife will, you know, be downstairs, I'm upstairs, and she'll yell up to me. And I'm just like, it just, my whole body just kind of cringes. And I have to remind her that if she has something to tell me that she needs to walk upstairs and talk to me, not yell from the other room, because it still triggers me. Um, but I've done a lot of work around my mother issues. Um, I think that oftentimes if I'm 
and this was especially true when I was younger, I was drawn to women who were uh, shaming, rageful, temper issues. I was drawn to women who were um, maybe, well, when I think about my first wife, she had a lot of anger issues, but her anger was all inward. And, um, you know, there's a lot of shaming that kind of went on in that relationship as well. But my mom's was definitely outward explosive. And so it was interesting that, you know, my first wife that I married was one who was implosive and raging inside. My second wife was the exact opposite. She was raging and, you know, she had a lot of, a lot of anger issues as well. Um, and then my wife today, you know, she's perfect in case she's listening <laughs> to this podcast. Apart, apart from when she's uh, yelling at you from downstairs. Yeah, right. right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. Three times Come a charm. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Know, thank you for that. I mean, sharing that as well. I mean, I, I like the point and it's true. You know, do we end up dating, you know, women who are similar to our mom as well? I mean, like my mother was a, uh, uh, she was a very soft, gentle, caring, nurturing woman. She also had some issues, uh, mental issues that I didn't really understand, especially when I was young. And later on, when I find out that she was actually suffering from paranoid schizophrenia, and then she had to go to see a psychiatrist about this. I didn't really understand the extent of this. But when I was growing up, when I was young, I became like the surrogate father my mom's marriage was an arranged marriage. You know, she wasn't, uh, her and my father, they didn't get on. And there was no compatibility. And a lot of the times when I was young, I would see, you know, my mom, she'd be very down, uh, depressed. And as a young boy, all I wanted to do was to rescue her, to save her, to change her sadness into happiness. And I would try so many things. And what I realized was I was just failing uh, in attempt after attempt, or if I did something, it'd just be very temporary. And later on, uh, when I started to, you know, become of an age where I could start dating, the interesting thing happened, and the odds of this are just uh, crazy. So I ended up getting to a relationship with a girl who had mother, who had a mother who had exactly the same condition as my mother. So her mother had paranoid schizophrenia. Now, what are the odds of that? Mm. So a lot of uh, things happen unconsciously. We end up dating, you know, uh, someone like our mother. So did you find yourself attracting women who were very similar to your, you know, to your mother? And uh, how did that show up? Chuck? You know, as you were talking, it reminded me that my, my mother also had some mental health issues and besides the, and it was kind of like when I think about my childhood, you know, from, you know, age 12 below, I think of my mom as being rageful. When I think of her from my early, you know, teen years to adulthood, she was very depressed. I remember talking with my brothers about this. Like I would, there was a point in time which every day she was crying over something and it would be like these little things. And and it reminded me that my first wife suffered from severe depression, um, that she, uh, you know, she was, when we were, when we were married, there were times where I was thinking I might need to take her to a hospital or something. And this is before I was a therapist. So I didn't know anything about like mental health issues and that kind of thing, but it just kind of freaked me out. Um, so I think 
what you were just saying there triggered me into like, yeah, my, my wife, my first wife was very depressed and, um, and very similar to my mom in that way. Now I thought I was consciously choosing someone who wasn't like my mom, because that was one of my things. I was like, I don't want to date anybody. I don't want to marry somebody that's like my mom. And, um, in many ways she's different, but in many ways she's similar. So yeah, I think it does affect us, but it affects us kind of in an unconscious way. You know, it, it just, we don't think of it as like, Oh, she just reminds me of my mom. It's just more of this vibe of like, Oh, this feels comfortable. This actually feels like home. This feels, I kind of know how to deal with this. I, you know, I know what I know how to navigate this. And so I don't think we recognize it at the time necessarily as we're married to our moms, but after a while, you know, when you maybe mature a little bit more, you start to see that. Oh, you see all the wow, patterns. There was you see the patterns. That, that you see. Yeah. yeah. It's so true. You see the patterns that are showing up as well. And uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of guys like, I love what you just said there because we don't always see, uh, you know, we don't consciously go out there and say, well, I don't want to, uh, you know, date someone who has, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, the same conditions as my mother or the same kind of like temperament or, or illnesses as my mom. But, Again, we move through life, especially when we're young. You know, we were 17, 18, 19, we started start dating. We have no consciousness of this, no awareness of this. So we, we kind of move through life unconsciously and then gravitating, you know, like, how did you end up in a relationship? I have no idea. Ari, have you had those moments where I'm like, how did I end up in this relationship? Oh, all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, still I, I think still to this day. No, my my, my ex-wife, she, she's different than my mom. I mean, they're both, uh, you know, Jewish women. But, uh, you know, you know I, I consciously, uh, or one, one of the things that I, I thought I was sort of consciously choosing with my ex-wife was that she would challenge me. Like, this was something that I never felt my, my mom or my parents did. Was was to actually call, call me out on my my BS, so it felt like such a relief that she would do this, um, and that she didn't want to just play into coddling me. I mean, I think she got tired of that fairly quickly. Um, Is, but but she was. Did you enjoy? Was, did you did you enjoy the the fact that she was uh, telling you off? And it's like. I really missed this from mother, right? This is what I needed. I needed that telling off. I mean, sometimes I enjoy it. It it was, you know, it's a relief. I mean, and this is something that I, I, I've, I've kind of worked on a lot is that, you know, I I was, I was desperate for this, not even just from her, but from people in my life that they, that they could be honest with me and that they, they could see it when I was acting not my best. You know, and, and I, I, for so long, I was, I was wanting other people to be able to call me out on things. I think eventually I realized I have to be able to do that for myself. I mean, I still value that in other people. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question, but you did, you did on that as well. And that kind of, uh, springs a question for you guys as well, for all of us is how can men recognize that they have severe mummy issues? You know, what are like the, 
you know, like maybe the top two or three things that they're doing that this, you can see they've got some mummy issues that they haven't resolved and they really need to work on. And it's going to impact and affect their relationship, their intimacy, sex. So what's the, like the kind of like telltale signs of like deep mummy issues? Chuck. Um, I, I think one of the big issues is being able to set boundaries and limitations because when you're a little kid, you can't set boundaries and limitations. You have to accept whatever behavior is coming your way. And that sort of imprints on us, I think, even as adults. Um, you know, I think our dads teach us how to feel about ourselves and our moms teach us how to feel about other women. And when I have a template that says I have to take care of my mom, I have to make my mom feel good, then that translates into how I feel about women. One of the things that um, I remember we had this Volkswagen van, 1969 Volkswagen van, and it was forever breaking down. And I remember I'm like five years old and my dad in, this, in the van starts making a a noise and my dad says, don't say anything to your mom because, you know, he didn't want to feel her anxiety and, and rage and anger and all of that kind of thing. And, and, um, that really kind of, I think started to like, okay, don't tell mom how you feel. Don't let her know what's don't upset mom. So, I think I brought that into my relationship and started becoming more of the people pleaser and the nice guy because my job I felt was to make sure she was always happy to make sure that she was always feeling good. And, and that's what I did with my mom. Most of my life was it either tried to avoid her rage or try to soothe her depression and anxiety. So it was a template for me. And like I said, my first wife was, you know, somebody who needed a lot of, uh, attention because of her mental health issues. And, and so in some ways there was this part of me that like felt needed in the relationship, even though I wasn't getting other aspects, um, uh, my needs met, I was certainly felt like I was trying to meet her needs and trying to soothe her and trying to make her feel better and trying to get her to, you know, be okay. And so I think that's something that can show up especially as nice guys would become caretakers if our moms were somebody that needed a lot of attention. Yeah. I can see the theme between, you know, all three of us that, you know, men who need to caretake men who need to fix women and see the problem and they want to be the rescuer, the, you know, the, the knight and save her. And that shows up as well. So, uh, yeah, no, thanks for sharing that because, you know, you can see you're trapped in a, in a cycle of, you know, she's anger and then depression and then anger and depression. It's like a never-ending cycle, and you know, mm -hmm. which happily is trying to fix that as well. So, thanks for that, Chuck. Ari, what are the like the telltale signs that a guy's got serious mummy issues, unresolved mummy issues? I mean, I think one thing is fear of commitment. Uh, you were mentioning that earlier, like the fear of intimacy, fear of commitment, which is another another thing that I've I've struggled with. And I, I think that uh, part of how you deal with that is you, you figure out your, your own self, you know, wh what are, what are my values? What are my boundaries? Um, what are my, my needs and wants, you know, what, what kind of woman do I want? 
Um, and so being conscious of all of those things as you enter into a relationship and, and being conscious as you're, you're participating in a relationship, you know, I, I think that's one of the, the key things for, for nice guys and maybe, maybe most men to be aware of. Um, so if, if you're not conscious, if, if you're just kind of following the blueprint of what you grew up with, and you haven't differentiated yourself and, and decided who you want to be and how you want to live your life. I think that's, that's one of the, the things that men have to work through. I love that one. And it all kind of ties in as well. The one mm -hmm. thing I, you know, I want to have a conversation about mummy issues and mother and a lot of guys sometimes reject this notion. I remember a client, I was working with him. And usually when my coach first, uh, you know, brought this up for me, I was like, what, what has mom got to do with anything? What's this relationship? You know, I'm, I'm with the girl, I'm our man. And he says, uh, you know, we really need to, you know, dive deeper into the, how psychology works. And a lot of the things are unconscious. And one of the things that, uh, when nice guys or when men have mommy issues is they have this, uh, Dr. Glover <clears throat> mentions in his book, no more Mr. Nice guy. There's a small, uh, paragraph on this is called monogamous to mom. Now, what that means is that when a, when a guy has a invisible bind, when he has like a contract with his mother, anything else to jeopardize that contract, uh, he will sabotage. So for example, he's already committed to mom. There's an invisible commitment that he has to mother. So anytime any other commitments come into his world, he will reject those commitments. I know this as well because when I, ha when I had this as well, um, I'd find committing to things which were like six months ahead or a year ahead or booking things would be really difficult because I just could do it right in the immediate because I could control that. So, you know, when commitment problems, uh, consistency, discipline that requires you to continually work on something, that can be a huge uh, issue with guys with mummy issues. So I really like those issues as well. One thing I really want to mention is the guys who have, who are afraid, they skirt around women's emotions, they can't really express themselves. They're afraid of being engulfed by a woman's emotion. So what they do is they'll start to placate, they'll start to you know move around, not rock the boat, seek her approval, see, am I doing things right or am I not doing things right? Or is she going to like it? Is she not going to like it? That's when you know that guy is not working from his central uh, own autonomy. He's got no control over himself. He is then very codependent on other people and other people's emotions. That's like a telltale sign. And if you want one question to ask a guy to see if he's got mommy issues, just ask this one question. What do you want? When you ask them in what do you want in relationships? What do you want in life? Most men who haven't, like Ari, you said, hasn't, haven't been individualized, don't have their own central system, will say, I don't know. So they go around in the world thinking, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I need because they've always looked after mom's need rather than their own need. So that's what they practice and done. Yeah, right. If, if, you, if you don't, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to if yeah, if you don't know, if you don't know what you want, it's very easy to feel engulfed by the other person's wants and needs, and it, it can feel scary. Yeah. 
Because yeah. you haven't got I was gonna a say strong that, um, self and sense. I was going to say that uh, when I was growing up, I remember this incident where we were at, I think I wrote about this in my uh, 30-day recovery journal. But my mom said, or I, we were at a hamburger place getting hamburgers, and I was like, I want the super deluxe hamburger with you know all this stuff. And my mom says, you get what's on the coupon. You get what's given to you, not what you want. And that had a real deep imprinting in me as well of, oh, it's, you don't get what you want. You get what's given to you. So you sort of have to accept the scraps from the table as it, as it were. And I think that that's something that a lot of us nice guys struggle with. And why it's so important for us to learn to set boundaries and not tolerate the intolerable, to be able to know what we want and not be afraid to ask for it um, because it's totally counter to what we've been taught and what we've been groomed, how we've been groomed and um, how we expect the world to work. And I think it's probably like I always say that, you know, the nice guy recovery starts with, like you said, what do you want and figuring that out and then going after that. Yeah. That's such a great question as well, isn't it? What do you want? Um, now I fancy a hamburger after that. <laughs> so here's, here's a question for you guys as well. So mummy issues, how do you think this is shaping up how men are showing up today? How is this impacting masculinity? And, you know, what are, what are the lessons, you know, what are the good lessons and the bad lessons that are being taken on for guys who just, you know, follow the women's template? I know this is a deep topic, but just a, a quick question on that. I mean, I, sure. I think it's... Oh, all right, go on, Ari. <laughs> you go. <laughs> I cut it. Uh, I, I think in some cases, uh, men are getting a template of, you know, if, if they're used to spending most of their time with mom growing up, um, that they, they've got to be the pleaser. Um, and they've got to... Uh, stay sort of in the, in the world of feelings, you know, which is t typically, uh, if we're going to stereotype where women are more comfortable, uh, and they're less comfortable, uh, dealing with challenge and, and conflict. Um, what do you guys think? Chuck, what do you think? What is the impact of, you know, like, being a mummy's boy on masculinity and men in the modern time? Well, I think it's a turnoff to women because they want somebody who's strong, has a backbone. And if you're always, if you're like you said, monogamous to mom, you know, then she knows she can't trust you, which is another reason why we need to set boundaries. Because if we don't say, if we don't set boundaries and we tolerate intolerable behavior, we're, basically telling her that she can't trust us that that if i'm around a woman i'm going to do whatever she asks me to do so if i'm out in the you know my job and there's you know a woman at my office who's coming on to me or something like that then she's afraid that this you know other woman will that i'll just comply to whatever some other woman wants and so on a, and i think it's on an unconscious level but 
she needs to know that you can say no to her because she needs to be able to trust your strength. And when we're not able to set boundaries and when we tolerate intolerable behavior, what we're doing is we're eroding the trust in the relationship. And for the feminine, her number one emotional need is security. And security comes from stability, consistency, that she can trust, that she knows you and knows what your values are, know where you'll move, you know, what, you know, where you'll compromise and not compromise at. So I think it's an extremely important thing for us men to work on consciously is just our ability to stand in the face of the chaos that the woman or the feminine rather kind of brings to us. I love that. I, I love the, the fact of, you know, you use a, uh, you know, a, a great word, which is, you know, spine and a lot of men, you know, I was brought up by mom, uh, most of the time. And I had women all, all around me and I had what I called the feminine template, the feminine narrative that ran my life. And what I did was I, based my life, my experiences and my judgments and opinions based on what they saw. And I wasn't able to distinguish between, you know, what felt good and right to me, my natural instinct as a man. And there's a really good book. And I highly recommend this book to everyone. It's called When He's Married to Mom by Kenneth Adams. And this was a real highlight because a lot of the times when men have instinctual um, reactions to for example, my, my, I remember I was walking with my kids and uh, my ex-wife and we were walking along and the boys and, you know, they were young and they're boisterous and they're, they're noisy and they're physical and they were, you know, wrestling with each other, tugging each other and mom's going, no, stop that, calm down, don't do this. And what she was trying to do is trying to make them all, you know, she's trying to make them really soft and passive in that point of view. Oh, you know, we need to be gentle uh, you need to be, um, you know, uh, not do all those things that they really instinctively desired. And I can understand that. I can understand that. But there is a place and time and a place for this as well. Uh, a great psychologist, she said, if you want to get to know young men, young boys, wrestle with them. They love the fight, the tug. And that's how men communicate. So what's happening is what I see how if you just have the feminine narrative, it takes our natural protector side offline. It makes us soft, passive, spineless. All we're doing is we're looking for validation and approval. Is this right? We don't take risks anymore. We don't challenge ourselves. Our pain threshold is so low. When we get a no or rejection, we're so butthurt and upset. And we're like going out into the world. This is why women say, I want a real man. Now, when I heard this message too, I was, I used to get heard about this, annoyed about this. And I used to get very intimidated by strong women and also strong men. And that's a sign because your masculine energy is offline or is very low. And I think this is what's happening now. There's a really good saying. It says, you know, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good, good times create weak men and weak men create hard, uh, hard men. And this is yeah, what we're missing in society. Something that, uh, recently a word has kind of come to me that I've been using a lot. And, um, oftentimes I'll have guys talk about it and think that they, you know, well, I just need to have more control. I'm like, no, you don't need to have more control. What you need is command. That command is the leadership role. You know, the commander of a ship, 
He's the one that makes the decision of which way the ship's going to go. You know, he'll listen to all the other input, but ultimately he leads, he's in command. And when we're in command of our emotions, when we're in command of our ego, when we're in command of all of our internal world, then that expresses outside where I can be in command of the things around me. So I'm not controlling, I'm not dominating, I'm not being rigid or rageful or aggressive. I'm just in command. I have a solid presence about me. And that command brings with it the feeling of safety, security, trustability, because she knows I am unwavering in my command. I'm not controlling her, but I am commanding myself and I'm leading the relationship. Wow, what a powerful word. Such a masculine and sexy word. I love that word. Yeah. yeah, it's such a good word. Yeah, guys, let's wrap up. So, one thing: what what are the beautiful gifts that you have got from you know mom and women around you in, in the world as well? So, what are the gifts that you've got, Ari? Um, you're talking about certain traits that yeah, yes, yeah, you know, kind of gifts that the feminine gives you that you know moms have given you, the women around you in your life have given you. Just that that feeling of, uh, I mean, of being nurtured, being loved, feeling connected. Um, that that's something that that I can I can do in my relationships. You know, whether it's with my son. You know, I think now I'm able to embody that masculine energy with him. Um, and, and lead him, but I can also be nurturing with him. I can also connect with his feelings. So um, I, I think we've, we've got to have both as men. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. Chuck, what kind of gifts have you received from the mom or the feminine? Um, I think one of them is, is just beauty, you know, um, the woman, it's all about the aesthetics and how things look. Uh, the men is the man's all about the, the the masculine rather is all about the functionality of things. If you walk out into you know through this door, you will see our dining room table that has a beautiful tablecloth with a runner and a big huge centerpiece of fall leaves and pumpkins and and if. You walk around my house, you'll see all of these decorations and things. I did not do any of that. (laughs) My wife (laughs) did all of that, right? And um, I think we need the feminine to sort of slow us down and to look at the beauty of the things around us. And that's one of the things I think the feminine does is she's, she's a creative creature, you know, she's about the aesthetics, how things look. That can also drive us crazy because on the flip side of that, you know, she's telling me what to wear. She's telling me what color shoes I should have, you know, those kind of things. But all of that is about her aesthetics. She wants beauty in her life. And when I understand that is just part of the feminine and I enjoy that piece, you know, I enjoy, I can go out to my living room. I'll, I'll kind of like enjoy the 
cleanliness, the organization, the aesthetics of all of that. And like I said, I, I contributed nothing to that. Probably she wouldn't let me if I wanted to. So. <laughs> yeah. But if you had it your way, it'd be just like, here's a table. That's it. What else do you need? Right. You don't need and anything. I think, <laughs> you don't need anything else. Shit all over the table. <laughs> and I think that this is the wonderful gift the feminine has given. I've seen, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, my boy's mother, my sister, uh, my mom, you know, she passed away when I was 19. So I didn't get to really consciously see how, you know, how she was. But one of the gifts that I see from the feminine is that, you know, guys can be very much black and white thinking and the feminine is very much in the middle as well. She can bring that uh, richness into it, the tapestry of the nuances that we kind of like overlook. And sometimes the things that makes me always go in awe is, you know, when I'm dealing with my kids or uh, and the way the women will pick up the small details that I've completely missed out where she's able to bond and connect and see some of the great parts because I'm thinking black and white, either I'm annoyed or I'm happy or, or either I'm this or this, but she brings in the whole uh, chemistry, the whole, what I call tapestry of everything. And that's a gift that a lot of men miss out. That's like when you were saying, Chuck, is, you know, we, we can go on holiday, but we'll just, we'll be thinking so much logically and then not and miss out the beautiful sunset and the smell, the taste, the aroma, the whole colorfulness of it. So from black and white to color, that's the gift that I believe the feminine brings, the world brings as well. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, again, you know, well, you know, this has been the Nice Guy Show. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share with other men who need to hear this as well. And if you've got any ideas or suggestions, please you know, go to the niceguyshow.com, send us some requests, some ideas that you want us to speak about. And until the next time, see you in the next episode. You've been listening to The Nice Guy Show, the podcast that helps nice guys move past their insecurities and fears into the fullness of their masculine strength and confidence. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and check out the website niceguyshow.com for more information on how to connect with Chuck and Faisal. Until next time, keep living your best life.